I'm Steve. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and pleased that you've come with us in our week two of the study of the life of Joseph. If you were here last week, we were in uh, Genesis chapter 37. And we heard and read about this man Joseph, the great-grandson of Abraham, the grandson of Isaac, and the son of Jacob, who became known as Israel. We saw about his life and how it started off as a favorite son, as the one who was, was uh, loved by his father, who, who even got a coat of many colors, or at least a long-sleeved, beautiful robe that he wore. But yet, this dreamer was attacked, planned to kill, but then his brother sold him and sold him down into Egypt. So we get at the end of 37, and we read that. And then there's chapter 38, which we're going to skip today, but 38 is kind of odd. It's kind of inserted in the middle of the story of Joseph. It says nothing about Joseph. The story is actually about his brother, Judah. But it's a very important chapter, and we actually are going to return to that the last Sunday of our series in about four weeks. So Read through 38. If, if, make sure you put your PG glasses on when you do it. It's a little sordid a little bit. But uh, you read through there and you see the, the I was going to say the adventures of Judah, maybe the misadventures of Judah. And we're going to see at the end how that all ties together. But we're going to pick it up today in chapter 39 of Genesis. Hopefully you have your Bibles there. You can follow along. Some, some of the verses will be up on the screen here too as we read. Chapter 39 Verse 1, and it goes like this. And so Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. It's interesting if you go back and read chapter 37, it's almost a restatement of the last verse of chapter 37. So it's just picking up the story again and saying, here's Joseph who was sold down into Egypt, and he was bought, lo and behold, by Pharaoh, or excuse me, Potiphar, the captain of the guard. Imagine, put yourself in Joseph's position. You're alone. You've been rejected. Certainly probably angry, distraught, wondering what is going on. And here you are, a Hebrew, sold into the captain of the guard of Pharaoh, into Potiphar's house. I said this is story of Joseph, kind of like a drama. If, if we could name today's episode, I would call it Life with the Potiphar's. Here we are in Potiphar's house, life with the Potiphar's. And Joseph, alone, afraid, angry, disgusted, distraught, all of these emotions that we might feel if we had been treated like he had been treated by his brothers. If we had been separated from our father by hundreds of miles, like he's being separated from his father and his family, how would we feel? What would we do? Interestingly enough, we find Joseph that way. But look at verse 2. It says this, The Lord was with Joseph, so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. 
The wording in that first verse starts right off with where we closed last week with Stephen's comments. It was just before he was being stoned in Acts chapter 7 verse 9 when he said, the brothers, the patriarchs, sold Joseph into Egypt, but the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He didn't mope. Eh, Maybe he did some. But we don't see him pouting and crying. I remember when I was a kid and things weren't going my way and I would pout. Maybe you were saying the lower lip comes out. I can hear my dad. I can hear the voice ringing in my ears. Pull that lower lip in. (laughs) Pull that lower lip in. That meant quit pouting. Quit pouting. So instead of pouting, he was promoted. How about that? Here was Joseph known as a Hebrew slave, probably asked him, what, what are you good at? And he says, well, I'm, I'm a shepherd. So he probably would have started out in the fields just doing the work that shepherds do. But instead of moping, instead of saying, oh, woe is me, he takes his work seriously. He takes, I think, maybe the advice of someone who would write 2,000 years later, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And so he was, he was serving God, and he, God was with him. And he found favor. He was successful, and he became an attendant to Potiphar. I think that's a great example to us. When things are going bad, when, when it seems like everything is against us, we can pout, we can, we can cry, we can whine, or we can pick ourselves up and we can say, no, I will serve the Lord my God. I will, I will give him the glory in all that I do. And I will make the best. What he knew at this point was that there were a lot of circumstances that were out of his control. He was a slave. He was a slave far from his family. There was so much that he could not control. But the one thing he could control was his response to the circumstances that he was in. And so he says in here that he lived in the house. He, he, the Lord was with him. That God gave him success in everything he did. And he found favor. It goes on, the story says, the next verse says, Potiphar put him in charge of the household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. He entrusted everything. He got another promotion. (laughs) He went from being an attendant to Potiphar to being in charge of everything. Joseph is rising up the ladder real quickly because God was with him. Because he took seriously his call as a servant of God. And he worked hard. And he didn't whine. He didn't mope. He was entrusted. It says in the the Bible there, it's not on your screen, but it says, the only concern that Potiphar had is what he should eat. How about that? Wouldn't you like that? You got somebody to take care of all of your needs, do all the house, inside, outside. The only thing you got to worry about is what you should eat. Things are going good. In fact, verse 5 says this. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Everything. Out in the field where he started. And that blessing had been brought into the house. We shouldn't be surprised, though. Because if we go back, what we talked about last week, when, when God made his covenant with Abraham, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
He said, I have a covenant. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you land, but I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing. And people, nations, will be blessed through you. And so we have Joseph here, and we have this story. And this story, not just here today, but as you read through this greater story of the story of Joseph, it's not so much about Joseph's success, although we see Joseph's success here. The story is more about God being faithful to his promises. And God is always faithful to his promises. And he says, I will bless others through you. And so as Joseph went down into Egypt, as Joseph served God, God in course blessed those who Joseph served. And so it's Potiphar that gets the benefits. So right now, Joseph is rising the ladder. He's being promoted to head over everything. And the captain of the guards, things are going great. Of course, when things go great, this is when the music starts to play, right? (laughs) The music starts to play, and and things start to turn and go another way. And it starts very innocently. Verse 6 says this, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. No wonder his brothers didn't like him. (laughs) He's popular. Dad loves him. He gets the code. He dreams dreams. And then now we find out, not only that, he's well-built and handsome. Those kind of people, I mean, Naturally, they, they kind of disgust some of us, you know, when they're that, you know. I remember growing up, true story, I'm not proud of this. I was just talking about this a week or two ago with somebody. Growing up, we had a group of friends right about the ending high school, college age that we, from the church, we all hung together. And, and it was girls and it was guys. And we, we'd do things, we, we would get together and we'd, we'd play euchre tournaments and, and, and we'd just go to games and just we do things. After every Sunday night, we would, Sunday night church, we'd go Pizza Hut in Alliance, Ohio and we'd have pizza after Sunday night church. And we just had a great time. But there was one problem. All of these girls loved Buddy Bell. Now, if you don't know who Buddy Bell was, he was this blonde baseball player with the Cleveland Indians. And they loved him because he was well-built and handsome. So us guys, we formed the I Hate Buddy Bell Club. (laughs) And we would go to ball games and boo Buddy Bell. (laughs) Not because he was a bad ball player, but because all the girls liked him because he was well-built and handsome. And the day Buddy Bell got traded to the Texas Rangers for Toby Hara, we're going, yeah, yeah. Turned out to be, I mean, Toby was a good player, but he was no Buddy Bell. <laughs> I know what it's like. Ah, oh, you know, they, all the girls, they just like him because he's good looking and he's ripped, you know. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> so the brothers, so the brothers are that way. I can understand it. He got all the good genes. What's, what's, what did we get, you know? <laughs> so he's getting all the good genes. Well, it's, when, you're, when you're handsome and you're well-built, it's tough to hide. And people were noticing. In fact, the verse, chapter 7, verse 7 says this, And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. Oh, boy. The life with the Potiphar's is about to heat up. It's about to heat up. She not only took notice of him, but this story goes on and says, she says, Joseph, Joseph, come sleep with me. Come sleep with me. Again, put yourself in Joseph's position. Alone, separated from your family, far from your family, abandoned, vulnerable. As I was thinking about it, maybe even flattered, intrigued, curious. 
And I can imagine an eternal conflict going in in Joseph's heart here. It's a, you know, what, what should I do? You know, boy, this beautiful woman or this powerful woman. But actually, from the scriptures and what we read here, Joseph was having none of that. Joseph wasn't having any of that. Any of that. He first tries to reason with Potiphar's wife. It says here in the next verse, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You notice he refused immediately. We don't get any sense that he has to debate in his heart and his mind if this is right. It's very likely that I imagine he had kind of noticed maybe her eye in him in the past. And, and maybe he was, had thought about, okay, how am I going to deal with this situation if it's going to come up? And we see him at first start to reason with Mrs. Potiphar. I've been entrusted everything. It, it seems that Joseph had thought through the consequences of his action. The consequences of his action is, is he would be betraying a trust to the man who had entrusted everything to him. But further than that, he would be breaking or harming that relationship that he had with God. He said, how can I do this wicked th thing and sin against God? He considered the consequences and he said, no. I wonder what would happen if we would always consider the consequences and, and think ahead of time so that we could react in the right way. I wonder what would happen if King David, when he's walking on the roof of his palace, looking and seeing Bathsheba, bathing, instead of inquiring, instead of calling for, would have said in his mind, I know what I got to do in this situation. I know the consequences this could bring to my family, to my kingdom, to my nation. And I won't do it. Randy Alcorn, uh, today a contemporary writer, has written a lot of books on a lot of different subjects. He's written one for pastors. And he's talking in this, in this book, and he's talking about sin and temptation. And he talks about this interview that he has with a fairly famous pastor who had, who had committed a moral sin, who had been caught in adultery and, and had lost everything as far as, as far as his ministry goes. And they were sitting down at a table having dinner. And he, they were talking, and, and he shared with, with Randy, he says, if I'd only had thought about the consequences of my actions first. If I only had understood everything that would happen. Here's a pastor not thinking through the consequences of immorality, the consequences of sinning. Seth had Psalm 51 up on the screen for us to read today. In the midst of that psalm is 51.4 where David says, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Joseph says, I will not sin against my God. It's interesting. How did Joseph even know it was wrong? We don't have a law yet. We don't have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, even, we don't have any of the book yet. But he knew 
it was wrong. You see, God was not silent. When he, when Abel killed his, Cain killed his brother Abel, and God came on to, back to him and he said, how could you do this evil thing? How would he known if it was evil if God had not said what is good? Genesis chapter 18, 19. God says this about Abraham. For I have chosen him, Abraham, so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So even Abraham, before the written word, was given the word of God by God of what is right, what is right, what is wrong. And he said he will teach him, and he'll teach the next generation, the next generation, and that third or fourth generation would have been Joseph. And he would have been hearing from his father, this is what God, who God is, and this is the rightness and the justness and the righteousness of God. This is what is, it means to follow and obey God. And so he knew, even without the written word, he knew this was a sin against God. He recognized sin for what it was. He called it a wicked thing. This wicked, wicked thing I cannot do. But Mrs. Potiphar wouldn't let up. Verse 10 says this. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Day after day. Time after time. And that's the way sin and temptation can be. You might remember another Old Testament character by the name of Samson. Samson was God's, God's man, God's judge in, in the, at his time, and, and he was a thorn in the flesh of God's enemies. And they wanted to figure out what was the source of his strength. And Delilah comes in, and it wasn't once. It wasn't twice. But again and again comes in until he finally caved in. Because when temptation comes, and when it comes again and again and again, our willpower can get weak, and he finally gave in. Someone has said this, temptation is like a telemarketer. You thought about that? Temptation is like a telemarketer. It comes when it is least convenient. It comes back again and again and again. It keeps pushing even after you say no. And it makes what they're selling sound great. But there's always a catch. There's always a catch. Temptation comes, and sometimes it just seems to sit in front of us, hang in front of us. James, the brother of Jesus, talks a little bit about this. In the first chapter, we, we talked about the first chapter last week and talking about trials and sufferings. He moves on then to temptation. And he said, it's not God who's tempting you, but he says this, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. This word picture, being dragged away by their own evil desires, comes really from the sport of fishing. You know, we're lured and enticed by our desires. I like to fancy myself as somewhat of a novice fisherman. What you see here is a lure. And 
What if good fishermen will do, will take this lure and cast it and put it out in front of the fish and dangle it there? Sometimes it might be a, a quick hit, surprise, and, and you throw it in and you reel it in quick. And you do it again, throw it in and reel it in quick. It's, it's those, those temptations that come at us and, and are gone, but, but sometimes we bite. But then there's other types of fishing where this lure is cast out and sat and just jerked a little bit, reeled in slow, jerked, just dangled in front of you. Day after day, that temptation is there. Have you ever seen a YouTube video of a fish in a lure? Watching it, maybe playing with it, bouncing its nose up against it, pushing it away, until finally it comes because there's a, there's a promise, there's an attraction, there's a promise of satisfaction. But once that fish is hooked, it starts to get taken in places that it did not, did not wish to go. That scripture says we are dragged away, enticed by our desires, which gives birth to sin. We, we bite, we take it, we take the bait, and Satan yanks it. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. But you know, the scriptures tell us something. It tells us that Satan is pretty crafty. In fact, Genesis 3.1, it says that the serpent was the most crafty animal in all of creation. And Satan knows that the lure that works for you, the temptation that affects, impacts you, may not be the same temptation that impacts others. You know, we have different lures for different fish. Different lures for different times of the day. Different lures for what you're trying to catch. Ah, oh, there's, a, there's a lure. There's a temptation that Satan puts in front of us. The love of money is the root of all evil, you know that. And so many of us love our, our money, but not just the money, it's the things that it can purchase. It's the position. We begin to covet and desire and lust after things that aren't ours, things that destroy our lives. And, and Satan dangles it out there, and you know what? It's not just one day, but it's day after day after day after day. What do I got to do to get that promotion so I can have more money so I can buy more things? And it sits out there. And this is more tempting to some of you than others. I had a thought of this I could cast out into the here, but I'm afraid I wouldn't get it back. <laughs> what is it that Satan puts in your way day after day after day that keeps you from living a victorious Christian life. For some of us, oh, oh, look at that. Oh, my. Oh, my. We need to set the drag on this. That's a big one. There you go. I think it was a Barna study recently that said 55% of Christians admit that their biggest or one of their largest temptations is, is food and gluttony. Uh, through Celebrate Recovery, we have groups that meet for food issues, for, for food addictions, for food eating disorders. Because Satan takes the things that would be good for us, although I don't know that Oreos are ever good, but food is good. 
and, and, and dangles them in front. And you can't get away from it. It's there all the time. It's those addictions uh, to, to substances that just, we, they're, they're there and, and we try, but, but it just seems like they hang there. It's like Satan keeps that lure out there all the time. Attempting us. Oh, there's got to be at least one more. Oh, oh. Oh. It's still on. If I get a phone call. Oh, technology. You know, this is to represent all of those ways that technology enters our lives, takes over our lives, can become even an idol in our lives. I read this week that by far the majority of porn that is viewed is viewed on mobile devices. But they also take over our lives in other ways, technology. And you say, you know, I talk about idols. We say, well, we don't have any idols in our house. Well, I would say most of us, if we walk into our living rooms, the first thing we see, the most prominent thing is some 60-inch screen on the wall that can become an idol. I just read this morning that uh, it was, I think it was a meme I read that, uh, that said, you know, they had people around the table looking at their cell phones with, with their families. And it said, your, your phone has already become your, your phone, your, your book, your, you know, and all the things that the phone has become. He says, don't let it become or take the place of your family too. And yet, that's out there all the time. Try to get away from technology. Now, I'm not just saying technology's bad. I don't want to be one of those say, ah, technology's bad. I remember back in the 70s when I was growing up, it was, ah, oh, rock music's bad. And we all got our, and I didn't because my mom wouldn't let me have any, but some of our youth guys got all their rock albums, took them and burned them in a, in a big bonfire. And uh, all these now probably valuable vinyls. Of, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't have to be new technology. No, 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 no. Uh, you know, we might read on our devices now, but, you know, those romance novels that, that we read and draw our minds away from Christ can be as damaging. Uh, you, know, the, the tele- you know, the telephone that used to have the cord and it used to be hooked into the wall was a great device for gossiping. It doesn't take technology, but this represents all of those things that Satan just, it's hard to get away from any of these it's hard to get away because they're dangled in front of us. Satan is there casting and Lord, okay, which method works best? And we try to resist it and we think willpower is enough. <laughs> I love this quote by Anglican Bishop Todd Hunter. He says, willpower is like Congress. It is constantly being lobbied by thoughts and emotions. You have to reorder those things so thoughts and desires become allies rather than enemies. We need to replace what's being dangled in front of us so that they help us to live a life that is obedient to Christ rather than pulling us away from a life that is obedient to Christ. We need to renew our minds. We've been talking about this over and over and over. We need to replace our lures, with the good things, the things of God. In fact, you know, the story, it goes from, it goes from bad to worse. Uh, she comes day after day. Finally, she decides this, this has to end. I got to have Joseph. And one day, they were alone. One day, Joseph comes in and it's just him and it's Mrs. Potiphar. 
And she says again, come to bed with me, sleep with me. And Joseph says, no, I will not. And he leaves the room, runs the front, it says. He runs out of the room, but she grabs his cloak and hangs on to it. Verse 14, Genesis 39. She calls the servants together. She says, look, this Potiphar's wife, to them, the servants, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Oh, man. Once again, Joseph, done in by his cloak. <laughs> I think I'd start wearing coats if I was him, you know? My goodness, the robe gets you in trouble, now it's the cloak. But she's convinced. She said, if I can't have Joseph, I'm going to destroy Joseph. But Joseph did what he had to do says he ran out. First Corinthians, Paul says, we should flee sexual immorality. And that's exactly what he did. When faced with the circumstance, when, he, when, when the, the, the bait was just there, the lure was there, and, the, and it actually reached out and grabbed him, he said, no, I am out of here. When everything goes wrong, when everything goes wrong, especially when sin and temptation is involved, run for your life. Run for your life. You don't have to hang around with temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul's talking about uh, the Israelite people and their history of falling into sin, their history of immorality. And he says, you don't have to be like that. In fact, he says in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. So we talked about before, God is faithful to his promises and God is faithful to himself. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so you may be able to endure it. Have you ever, I've been intrigued recently by these, this new, these new games that are played in places called escape houses. Have you seen that? Groups come together and they go to a place and they lock you in a room and they, they give you clues on how you can get out and you have to work with your team for like an hour to try to get it. But I can imagine to, to escape is, is so important. You're trying to figure out how to escape. Joseph immediately was looking for a way to escape. How do you escape? Well, Jesus showed us in the wilderness when he was tempted. He escaped through quoting, memorizing and quoting and applying the word of God in his life. In fact, too, also when, when he was about ready to be to be crucified and he's in the garden praying. He tells Peter, pray that you don't enter into temptation. Stay close to God. Keep a, keep a relationship with him so that when the temptations come, when those lures swing by, you know what God's word says. You can apply God's words. You can speak to God and say, Lord, keep me from this. But when it gets to a point where you are tempted beyond what you can bear or it seems like you might be, flee. Get out of there. Look for the escape route. What's the escape route? Where? How can I get out of this, God? And he says, God is faithful. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful to who he is. He will provide the way. David, King David, why didn't you look for your escape route? So many folks down through the years caught in sin because they neglected their escape route. You don't have to entertain temptation. Let me ask you one question before we go today. Who or what is your Mrs. Potiphar? Who or what is your Mrs. Potiphar? Your greatest temptation, that, that temptation that's always in front of you. You can't get away from it. Who or what is it? Do you know what you're going to say to it? 
Do you know how your, your escape route if things get dicey? Have you considered the consequences of giving into that sin? What it might do to you, your family, your loved ones, those who trust you and have entrusted to you? Have you considered that God was with Joseph and he continued to be with Joseph and Joseph continued to be with God? If you want to be with God and God with you, are we willing to take the escape routes and said, I will not, I will not, I will not. I will not betray my wife. I will not betray my husband. I will not betray my children. Joseph did. Joseph did. And so Joseph, what happens? He obeys God. He does what is right. And you know what happens? Potiphar comes home, and Mrs. Potiphar says, look, look at this Hebrew guy, what he tried to do, the man you brought into this house. Here's his cloak. He tried to rape me. And it says Potiphar was angry. He doesn't say it who. <laughs> just said he was angry. Might have been angry at Joseph. Might have been angry at his wife because he didn't believe her. We don't know. But he was angry. And uh, so Joseph got thrown into prison. How's that for reward for obeying God? Once again, he's suffering because he's accused of wrongdoing, no fault of his own, in jail. Sometimes, sometimes we think that obedience means then prosperity and success. Be careful when you judge other folks. Be careful when you judge other folks and think that their struggles are because they're being disobedient. Disobedience does not always equal success, does not always equal prosperity. So what does Joseph do? He mopes, he cries, he sulks. No. Verse 20 says this, but while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. You know this little theme going through this? The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he, he did. The Lord was with Joseph, and Joseph said, I will still continue to do what's right. I will still continue to work hard. I will still continue to do whatever I do, eat, drink, whatever, to the glory of God. And God started promoting him again, even in the prison. Dr. George Lawson was a theology professor back in the late 1700s and early 1800s, wrote a book, The History of Joseph, which published in 1807. I love this quote. It says this, Think not that the presence of God with his people is limited to palaces or churches. It is often manifestly seen that he was with them in prisons, in caves or dens, on gibbets, in fiery furnaces. 
I had to look up gibbets. Gibbets is the gallows. It's where you hang, folks. He said, God is with us wherever. God is with us in Potiphar's house or in the next scene in the prison. God is with us because, and, and so evidently in blessing, because Joseph stayed true. Joseph stayed righteous. Joseph stayed holy. He did not let his Mrs. Potiphar entice him into betraying his trust to his, to his earthly master and to God. What or who's your Mrs. Potiphar today? What's that sin? What's that temptation that keeps coming at you? Consider the consequences. Consider the consequences. Families torn apart because consequences were not thought through. Stay close to God. Know his word. Know what he says. Serve him and he will be with you. Let's stand together. Oh no, you sit down. <laughs> We're going to do something else here. Let's pray first. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your message. Lord, we thank you for this lesson from Joseph. Lord, help us identify our Mrs. Potiphar's, those temptations that come at us day after day, moment by moment. And then, Lord, help us to live victoriously through them as we commit not to sin against you. Lord, help us to reflect the light of Christ to a world. And Lord, we don't want that light to be dimmed by our actions. Lord, we don't want to be compromised in any way. We don't want to be accused of hypocrisy. Lord, help us to honor you in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have some other people who are going to do some fishing. They're going to do fishing, fishing for men. And I want to invite our Jamaica team to come up here at this time that's going to be heading to uh, um, Jamaica on Tuesday. And I'm going to hook this so we don't stag one of them. Come on up, everybody. Where's Pastor Jim? Oh, there he is. Yeah, yeah. Now, I always said, I said, if you have temptation, if you have temptation, what do we say? Run for your life, right? All I can figure out is this is a man that must have a lot of temptation in his life because he is running like crazy every day. <laughs> so, so Pastor Jim is leading this team, and uh, we're excited. Uh, this is, well, I won't say too much because you might say it too, so go ahead. Okay, just uh, real quick, uh, first of all, if we, could, if we could go ahead and put those uh, quotes out so folks can see the quotes here. But, but first, I, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for your faith promise support because that really allows us uh, to do the things we're doing. Uh, with the work that we're doing down there, it helps, you know, with some of the work projects and also helps some of the teens to get down there as well. But, um, but so thank you, thank you so much. I, I, I just can't uh, say enough of that. But, but listen, um, these quilts, our quilt... Our quilting group here at the church. <clears throat> Last year we took about 20 quilts. It was wonderful. People loved them. We took them down to them. Well, this year we're thinking about giving them out at the uh, children's home, the or orphanage. And, and our ladies made 65 quilts. Isn't that incredible? Let's give them a hand. I mean, 65 quilts. Wow. And that's just a couple of them there. 
So thank you for that. So real quick, Steve wanted me to uh, tell you. So basically, the neat thing is, too, we have eight churches that, that are pretty, you know, committed to what we're doing with the friends down there. And we're going to be able to affect them in some way or another. Uh, three of the churches we're going to do have take ministry teams to. Uh, that would be New Life, that would be Zion, Friends Church, and also Ocean Heights. Those three churches we're going to actually be able to bless with some ministry teams, which is working with the children, uh, VBSs, et cetera. And also the children's home that we're going to, the orphanage. We're going to be doing a, a ministry team there as well. And then our work projects, we're going to be actually uh, go to a couple of these churches too. And Zion needs a lot of work. Uh, uh, Zion Friends Church, and there's a, uh, there's a like a, a house next to it. We're going to try to turn that into the quote-unquote their headquarters. So please pray that there's a lot of work that needs to be done there, uh, a lot to restructure some things down there. And also, um, we're going to be doing some work at the children's home, too. There's a lots of painting and, and restructuring some of the beds, actually uh, uh, helping uh, with some of the bunks and working with some of the bunk beds there. The neat thing is, too, the next Saturday, we're actually going to take a, about a three-and-a-half-hour, four-hour drive to a couple of our churches that we don't get to too often, and that's Grace and, um, and, and Pastor Griffith's church out there in, in, um, in Spanish Town. And we're going to go out there and bless them by just having like a fun day, like a carnival kind of thing. Uh, at both those churches, half our team's going to go to one, half's going to go to the other. So the neat thing is we're really going to be, be really effective there in, in, in ministering those folks. A couple of the churches that are a little more remote that we can't get to, we're still going to bless them with uh, a little bit of a financial uh, deal there. We'll help them with some monies, with some things they're trying to do at their churches as well. So, so I'm really blessed how we're, I mean, it's just awesome that we're going to be able to affect eight different churches plus the orphanage while we're down there in the uh, seven, eight days that we're going to be down there. So, so I want to thank you, thank you again, and also uh, thank you for your prayers because it's certainly needed. You can look in the, uh, your uh, bulletin there and you'll see the team, all the, st all the students and adults going. Please pray for them as we take our trip. Thanks, Pastor Steve. I don't know if you mentioned, but there's 10 more coming, right? Yes, I'm sorry, yeah. Well, yeah, um, uh, 10 more people, you mean? Yeah. yeah. So if you look inside your bulletin, it's all in there. Okay. There's 36 total, 10 from uh, uh, Cornerstone. Pastor Mark Winter is going to be bringing those group, uh, that group, and we have 26 from our own church. So, here so we have 10 from Cornerstone friends, Madison. Uh, Madison is going to be joining this group. So. And it's a good way to get them involved, too. And, yeah. and we're hoping they'll jump on board more with some of the things we're doing down in Jamaica. Yeah. So, yes, great. So they leave Tuesday, uh, come back a week from Tuesday. Uh, so uh, would you stand with me now? as we pray over this group and commission them. Lord, we thank you for uh, the good work that is going to be done through these young men and women and, and, and those who go with them, Lord, to help and lead and direct. We pray that you would go ahead of them right now, that, Lord, you would prepare the way. Lord, it would be a smooth trip. It would be a smooth through customs and all that stuff. And, Lord, that, uh, as they arrive, that, Lord, they would just sense the power of your presence and your spirit that's gone on before. Lord, we pray that you would just continue to... Um, Encourage each one of these as they prepare over these next couple of days. Lord, that you would watch over them, protect them. Lord, um, may there be good health and safety. And Lord, may the message go out. May the children be touched. May the adults, Lord, come closer to you. And Lord, may, may through this activity, everything that's being done, Lord, may that church in Jamaica be strengthened. Lord, may the pastors be encouraged. May, Lord, our leadership down there be excited about what you're doing in their partnership with us here back in Cleveland and Willoughby Hills, Ohio. Lord, I pray that you would just, um, Lord, empower Pastor Jim. I know it's a heavy responsibility on him. Lord, I pray that you would just encourage him and those that are assisting. Lord, may you just guide and direct them every step of the way. And Lord, we look forward to coming back and hearing the good things that you've done. Lord, how you've not only changed those that we've gone to minister to, but Lord, how each one here can say, God was with me. 
and he changed my life. He transformed me in some way to make me more like him. So Lord, we, we just entrust these to you, knowing that you are faithful to your word and that Lord, you are gone ahead. You prepared the way. Bless them, Lord, as they go. Bless us as we go today. Help us, Lord, to face those temptations. Lord, to reject them. And if we need to, Lord, to run, run, run. Get away. As you call us to be holy, more like you, obedient. And we do that because we love you, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And because today we represent him to a dark, dark world. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in the peace of the Lord.